My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Did you know that only 24 states plus the District of Columbia currently require sex education? And of these states, only 20 require that the education be factually, medically, or technically accurate. That explains a lot, right? Let that just sink in for a minute. That's like half the country. It's optional, basically. As you know, if you've been listening here for a while, this topic is really close to my heart. I've asked hundreds of people what they've learned about sex and sexuality growing up, and the answers, well, they say a lot. But I'm also so inspired continually by these same people's journeys and what they do to cultivate positive change in their own lives and beyond, making way for the sexual empowerment and authentic lives I think we all deserve. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so happy you're listening. Today, we're going to explore queerness and sex ed, why teenage girls specifically ought to learn about pleasure, and more with G. Strangeway, a film director, author, and poet whose new hybrid graphic novel, Red as Blue, tells the tale of a 15-year-old girl longing to, quote, carve open her own space to find a beating heart in a barren world. It is such a unique and provocative story. I can't wait for you to hear about it. Later in the show, you're going to hear from Dr. Megan Fleming, who weighs in for a listener curious about prostate pleasure, and Victor Tobar of The Pleasure Chest, our product sponsor for today. It's also my favorite place to go for sex toys, lube, and more. Victor shared awesome queer sex tips, why learning about it matters, and more. And a quick reminder to sign up for occasional Girl Boner Extras at augustmclaughlin.com. I share goodies about once a month that I often don't share anywhere else. You can also now pre-order my Girl Boner book. I'm so excited. It's on Amazon, or you can request it at your favorite local bookstore. It officially releases August 7th, and I have some fun-related news to share with my email subscribers soon. Thank you so much for being here, G. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. I'd love to start hearing a little bit about your own personal journey. Okay. Because I know sexuality and kind of... Coming of age is a big theme in your book as well. Yes. What did you learn about sexuality when you were a kid? Nothing. Nothing at all? Nothing. So did you absorb any positive or negative messages from that nothingness? Well, I can only speak about um, the 1980s. You know, I can't speak about today. I grew up in the 80s, and uh, there was nothing. All you really had were uh, billboards telling you you shouldn't get abortion, and all you had were debates in school about that as well, and people pretty much felt that homosexuality was not just a sin, but just shouldn't exist, period. So in that environment, uh, when you're gay and you're dealing with that, you really have nothing. And sex education also offered nothing other than what you hear a lot about, the graphs of how the sperm swims to the egg and that sort of thing, which 
has nothing to do with sexuality at all. Yeah, I completely hear you. It's so interesting what you said about the billboards, because I remember seeing billboards, too, about, you know, the kind of pro-life billboards. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, they're killing babies because I didn't understand. What did you think abortion meant or did you have any opinion on it when you were little? I didn't have any opinion on it because I was so, um, I wouldn't say I was brainwashed to believe it, but I was brainwashed I saw it so much that I brainwashed myself to ignore it. Mm. Um, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14, and you see stuff like that, you don't really know. You just, energetically, you just feel that it's very hateful. That's how I related to it, you know. And to be having billboards about murder, it's not something that's normal to be looking at. It doesn't matter what the political or religious viewpoint is. It should not be seeing messages of hatred and blaming people for stuff and murder, you know, murder yeah. and hatred. I mean, it's very dark and negative stuff. Yeah, and very confusing when you yeah. are also going through changes within yourself and you're going, I mean, puberty, man. What does that word drop for you? Uh, I, I think for me and a lot of people, it's always it's traumatizing. Mm. <laughs> Thankfully, um, I, you know, I have a very tomboyish body and tomboyish Asian body. So thankfully, I didn't really I could hide a lot of the things that were happening to me. So, but I did get made fun of a lot for being flat chested, which kind of confused me because. I didn't see it as something bad. So to be called that frequently was a little bit disturbing because I liked being flat-chested. <laughs> That's so interesting. You said you could kind of hide some of the changes, but then when people recognized you as sort of, quote, lacking something, which you weren't, mm -hmm. they saw it as something negative. How did that impact you to hear that from people? Did it challenge your belief or were you able to go, there's nothing wrong? I, I think the flat-chested thing was really annoying, but I think because I had so many other issues going on, I was actually um, hated for being Asian more so than being flat-chested and probably hated for being androgynous more for, than being flat-chested. So the flat-chested thing just added more layers of oh. hatred. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That just makes me, it makes me sad. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I know you can laugh about it now, but my goodness, no kid should have to go through that. No adult should have to go through that. It's like, think about those things. It's like, you know, your ethnicity, your the body shape that you just happen to be born with, your preferred style, like none of that speaks of a person's value. Yeah, and thankfully, I don't know, there were just kids that were bullies and they were, um, you know, um, kids you didn't take seriously about anyway, thankfully. But if it was anyone that you really cared about that said that, I think it can cause kind of deeper issues because it's – you know, that's like the beginning of misogyny, you know, that's the beginning of judging females and, and human beings for, you know, for your, whatever they expect of you sexually. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's so As true. As if having boobs makes you female, you know. Right. Which is such a obscure and inaccurate thing. And also, 
so different depending on what culture you're in. Yeah. You know, we have such this over-sexualization of, of breasts in our culture. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you learn along the way. That's what most of us end up doing, right? What were some of the most positive things that you learned first about sex? Do you remember something that kind of gave you some hope or inspiration around it? Well, I'm, I was a late bloomer because I kind of, I guess you can kind of figure out I had a, like a really dark teenage, you know, period in my life. And I think with all the the uh, oppression that I experienced, I pretty much was really sexually repressed. You know, I really wanted to hide my body. I wanted, wanted to not be visible at all. I didn't want to be a visible existence, period, you know? So um, sexually, you know, I didn't really come of age until my 20s, my early 20s. And I used to think back and think, oh, you know, I, I really wish I had a real, you know, healthy teenage life with an active sex life. But, you know, I'm really glad I didn't because what I learned spiritually as I got older is that that energy is really sacred and I'm glad I didn't give it away Mm. I didn't I'm glad I'm not one of those people that can brag about how I've done 200 people or 50 people or 20 people I'm glad that when I did finally have my first experience it was meaningful and it wasn't just because I had to experience what it was like had you explored your own sexuality yourself, like with solo play, and or was kind of the shame around hiding your body? Did you have the sort of like, don't even look down there? To be honest with you, I kind of just shut off that whole part of me, mm-hmm. and I pretty much, I guess you can say, I channeled my sexual energy differently. I, chan- I channeled it creatively through mm-hmm. writing and through art and through painting. I mean, some people do it through um, working out and sports and ath- athletic stuff. But for me, it was all channeled artistically. And I think, you know, creative energy, sexual energy is very powerful. And I think when you do channel it, that's when it's important. And when you don't, that's when you end up becoming psychotic and violent and, you know, I think it's tied into, I mean, I don't want to get off topic, but I think it is tied into, like, the homicidal things going on with kids, shooting guns, that sort of thing. It's all sexual energy to me. I don't care what people say. And I think it stems from the the values we have here, the religious culture and the, the, the stuff that's putting into us to suppress our sexuality. And for those of us who are smart, we're able to heal ourselves by channeling that sexual energy in creative ways. And that's pretty much what I did with it. And that's also why I was always deep into the music scene when I was 15. I was already clubbing, and I've been clubbing since. Mm -hmm. Dancing and partying and, you know, and being immersed in music is very healing, and that's part of how... And plus dancing... It's a very sexual thing too. When you're dancing, it's a very it's a sexual expression, and so I became a very good dancer because I was sexually repressed. I'd say so. That's very interesting. Yeah. I do love your point about how sexual energy in our sexuality is not just about a particular sexual act, or to make it even 
more kind of based on what we're taught, it's not all about intercourse, right? It's so much more. I feel like our sexuality is in the air we breathe and mm. the way we speak and carry ourselves in the world. And, and I do think there, there's so much danger in that repression, for sure, because it has to come out somewhere. I wonder, as you were sharing about your own experience and feeling repressed, I thought of your main character because June is somewhat of a, an outcast, I guess you would say. Yes. How much of that was inspired by your own experience? A, a lot of it. I really wanted to. I really wanted to write a, a character that that spoke about my experiences, not not because I needed the catharsis, but because I feel that for, I, I, I believe that many of the things that we go through in life that are dark or traumatic or difficult, I believe that when you get wiser and older, if you're, if you, you learn that there are actually blessings that they're not there just because you're being punished in some way and you just had a shitty life. I think somewhere in our soul that we chose to have those experiences, it's just that we forgot that we had chosen them when we were born. And I believe that when you have these dark experiences, it's really meant for you to teach something and to heal yourself and to help heal others. So when I wrote about this character, it wasn't for me to have some kind of, you know, semi-autobiographical take on, you know, my, my character's sexual repression and all of that. But to use the opportunity to heal and to help a lot of the youths out there that are still going through this type of thing, and also for the you know, the generations that are older now who can reflect on that and get some healing from my book as well so that, you know, you don't feel alone. I love that you are paying it forward in that way because, as you said, your difficult experiences turned out to be your greatest teachers, it sounds like, which I I can't remember the quote, but it's from a Pema Chodron uh, book. She has this... Um, incredible book about it's like hard advice for difficult times and there's she talks about exactly that that even the person the place the things the experiences that are absolutely your enemies can be your most powerful teachers which I think is so amazing and I I admire and respect so much that you did incorporate sexuality into this character and not in this like quote cautious way where it would feel censored almost yeah I imagine that was a conscious decision yes yeah I I think um the 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 way that I describe the characters when they when she's blossoming into her sexuality and you know just coming of age as a, a young girl into womanhood I think a lot of that is it's just based on, you know, my own my own journey of coming out of that. And I think that arc that I went through, I've, I really felt that I had to give that to the characters as well to to give young kids or the youth, you know, the the hope that even if you 
you are you're unliked and you have all these body issues that there that you can come out of it, you know, in a way that is beautiful. I'm totally not into unrequited love stories and stories where the character just remain kind of stuck and mm-hmm. and hateful and confused. And so I'm really happy to have personally come out of it um, with a lot of knowledge, actually, to end up being able to, you know, offer that in the book. And the the sex scenes, which I'm going to be really honest, and I haven't finished reading it yet, but I did what I would have done as a teenager, which I hope teenagers all around the world do with your book as well. But I hope, of course, they read the entire thing. But I went straight through looking for the sex scenes because <laughs> I went from like orgasm to kiss to clitoris. You, I was going by all the way through. You dirty girl. It was so fun, though. <laughs> and you have some gorgeous scenes. And they're so beautiful. And nothing about it, of course, for me... It, my worldview is obviously shaping my my take on things, but I'm just I'm thinking like, of course, I mean this is what, but I don't remember having anything like that to read, you know. Even when I read like all the adult novels, you go through and they're like, oh, the member in the precious hole or something. I mean, I know there are wonderful erotica novels and beautiful things, um, so much wonderful literature that does present sexuality in an empowering way, but I certainly didn't find it when I was a kid. So um, I wonder, how did you approach the sex scenes for this book? It was a, it was very difficult. I didn't realize how hard it was to write sex scenes until I actually had to write them and on top of them write them for, you know, for teenagers. Um, I didn't want to be... PG-13 and kind of careful about it and self-conscious, which is really not the right way to do it because tapping into my 15-year-old self, you know, I do know that, like, people like to think that kids are, they're always trying to protect kids from sex and, you know, knowledge about sex, and they're thinking in the gutter, they're thinking more like pornography and stuff. But what they really forget is that Human beings are animals, you know. We were born with genitalia, and we were born as sexual creatures. We were born to do all those things that they say in terms of procreation and all of that, you know. And But so contrary to what people think, you know, um, children are realizing their sexuality from the time they touch themselves, you know, even if they don't mean to. Um, and I know that, you know, 15-year-olds, at least in the time that I was growing up. I mean, now they're having sex at a very young age, but they they are thinking all the same kind of things that we think as adults. So I don't know what the fuck people are thinking. With less shame usually at first, oh, you know, yeah. where kids are just like, hey, Zero. what's that? Hey, this feels good, you know, until people say, oh, that is such a, that is so sinful yeah. or so. Yeah, and relevant. they have full mm-hmm. on fantasies about, you know, boys or girls that have crush on, full on. You know, giving head, going down, everything they want done to them, everything they do to other people. And I thought about that when I wrote these sex scenes. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to write something incredibly explicit, but I really want to write something that, you know, that that shows the voice and the, 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 the reality of how teens really feel when they're thinking about someone they're attracted to. Um, but there is a fine line between writing pornography and being too kind of writing around sex 
And it's really hard to write that way, I, I have to admit. I mean, I didn't really want to straight up write about, you know, like, one of the things I, you know, like, try not to use words like vagina, you know, try not to use words like clit, you know, try not to get so on the nose and so obvious about it, and yet write about it, and then say those words only when you really have to say them, because once you say them, it takes so much away from the imagination and the writing. So it's like a really delicate, difficult balance to to describe eroticism without saying those things. And then when you do say it, it has to come at the right place, no pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> pun embraced. I like that pun. And you have a scene where she discovers her clitoris, mm-hmm. which I think is so important because so many people do not know about that body part for the longest time. It certainly is not mentioned in sex education. How important was that to you? I think um, you called it a, the button at first. It was the delicate button. Yeah. The delicate button. I think more important than the delicate button for me was the orgasm. <laughs> um, that release. And that release was really important for me to talk about, to write about, as well as that delicate button, because the whole purpose of the intimacy of her discovering her clitoris with her lover and also the orgasm, for me, was to really show the trust that they had between each other and to amplify the deep, sacred love that they were discovering with one another. And... I wanted to show that, you know, when you give yourself that freely to somebody, it should be that beautiful. And that was the purpose of the orgasm and the clit and all of that. So it was a climax of the relationship, too. Yes, pun intended. And also for perhaps her own self-love. Like, I felt like there was a self-love theme in the story. There was a self-love theme, but she had to be taught by Beverly, the cheerleader in the the lover, the, her love interest, she had to be taught that by someone, you know, who didn't have all these issues. So it was not something that she learned on her own. Mm. She had to fight for that from all the bullying and this other Jesus fanatic girl, Kimberly, Beverly's best friend, who is just wicked and trying to turn June down the wrong path of hating herself and hating her body even more. So Beverly's, you know is like saving her from that. So yes, it is about self-love, but it's something that is a learned thing for her. And I imagine that can have such an impact on a on a teen as you were talking about teens having fantasies, mm-hmm. full-on sex stuff. I was thinking, man, I I like had numb fantasies. They were like fantasies with no details because seriously because I didn't know I mean all I knew all I had heard was something about like penis goes in a hole like I didn't know I did not know so much that I I mean I didn't that just didn't seem like this sexy fantasy for me to just be like insert here so I I mean I would have fantasies about like kissing or touch or but I didn't have any language so I think the feelings were there Mm -hmm. Um, but not the actual any of the specifics. How important do you think it is for for teenage girls specifically to learn about pleasure? Um, I think it's very important. I just don't know. I don't have any advice on how to learn about it. 
You know, I don't know if anyone can teach you that. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I feel like what I think would be awesome would be in sex education to at least just acknowledge that it's a thing. Like... The it, thing? That that thing or what thing? <laughs> no, that pleasure is a thing. Well, ideally, we learn about the clitoris, too. But even saying the clitoris is the one body part solely designed for pleasure, that it's natural to have, you know, these feelings of desire and, and not to – because I think people think sometimes when they hear, let's teach kids about sexuality or sex, they're thinking, let's teach kids how to have sex when they're seven. That's not actually what it is. It's like, this is your body – it's very pleasure-centric. You don't have to do or not do anything with it. You know, it's not something that you um, – it's not a currency. It's it's yours. But just to – even just to say, like, this can – because I just remember having so many thoughts of, like, how could any of this be good? Like, I remember hearing about cramps and pain and bleeding and diseases and pregnancy and – but nobody said – you might have mind-blowing pleasure. Not like a teacher is going to say that to an 11-year-old. I get that. Um, but just to even say like, yeah, there, there's there's good stuff there. Just like, just know that. I, I would have appreciated that. Well, I actually, I don't remember having such sex edge at education when I was in, um, before middle school. I don't remember having it in 10 or 12 or 11. I, they gave it to us pretty late. So I can't really, I don't have a frame of reference, but I think it's really important to start around that age that you're talking about, but in a way that isn't um, sex education per se. I think the issue I have with sex education is what they, the word sex education, period. And the reason I have an issue with that is because in our Judeo-Christian society, we we look at the word sex and there's like all these unconscious taboos and things that come out of it that starts creating wars, you know? People think of fucking, think sex, fucking, sex, fucking. So basically, if you think sex is fucking, then you're having a fucking education. I don't think we should have a fucking education. Don't I think. you think more kids might sign up for that class, though? Um, it sounds more... As a teenager, yeah, I'd sign up for a fucking education. I wish I had a fucking education, you know? <laughs> But uh, because our minds are in the gutter, because of yeah. our religion, put it in the gutter. We have developed gutter minds and a bad relationship to the word sex. So mm -hmm. I think my issue with sex education is that it should be called something else. What do you think would be better, like sexual health, sexuality class? I think that we have to find ways to – we have to get into like a think tank thing and come up with everything that sex, sexuality and the human body and human relationships and discovering uh, socialization skills around opposite sex and same sex and socialization skills with our sexuality, to sec the, the language of our bodies – you know, not to mention, you know, um, emotional intelligence and a million other things that we're made of. You know, we need something where after you put that all together, you come up with some kind of description that describes an education of how to physically relate to other people socially and how to understand yourself as a social human being because it is all about integrating and understanding our bodies in order to understand other people's bodies 
so that we developed self-respect for our bodies, but also boundaries to know that, yes, if this part of our bodies is sacred to us and sensitive to us and does, you know, produce pleasure, then no, that grubby man should not be touching that, and that's inappropriate. I don't want that. I don't like that. That belongs to me. You know, we don't have that discussion of socialization skills around our bodies, so we don't even know how to create boundaries when we're raped. Some girls don't even know that they're being raped because they haven't learned about any of that stuff that I'm talking about. So 10, 11-year-olds, they don't need sex education or fucking education. They need to start learning very early on about socialization skills when it comes to bodies and boundaries and, you know, respect for certain parts of their bodies, but they have to understand their bodies first to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're so right. Consent conversations, boundary conversations, that's something we should be learning and understanding our whole lives long outside of sex too, you know, that it is your absolute right to say no to anything that doesn't feel good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have a really interesting question from a listener for today's Ask Dr. Megan segment. This listener comes from Randall, who wrote this. I'm a gay man and in a new relationship with a guy who doesn't like anal. Besides oral, I'm sort of confused about what to do. Are there other ways to get to the prostate? At least I think that's what I like. Randall, really good question, Randall. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of Great Life, Great Sex had to say. Randall. Well, I think it's important to recognize that even if your partner doesn't enjoy anal and therefore, to your point, he's not going to get that prostate stimulation that you really like and enjoy, it doesn't mean that there aren't many ways to give him pleasure, right? So, listen, focusing on his penis and on his balls and, you know, his his nipples, like full body, I often say, you know, our biggest sex organs are brain, but our biggest organs are skin, right? So head to toe, really sort of exploring what are sort of the erotic zones. It could be the ear, uh, the nape of the neck, the low back, the inner thighs, and even a tantric, the big toe. So recognize when you're new to a relationship, there's such an opportunity sort of to play and explore what kinds of touch each other like. Um, And again, certainly, a great blowjob is, you know, I'm sure um, something that you don't get tired of, and I can imagine your partner doesn't either. And then, then, you know, the next question is, even though he doesn't like to receive, you know, is he comfortable giving, you know, either, and if he's not comfortable with his penis uh, or fingers, there's, uh, you know, butt plugs and sex toys and dildos. So there are a lot of different ways that he can be giving you pleasure. Um, And then what I would say is, and this is true of most relationships, that over time and when you get really relaxed and comfortable with someone, you sort of revisit things and say, you know, if we look back at the beginning, there's sort of the yes, no, and not for now. You know, we could say um, a few months in or just checking in and you're feeling more comfortable and relaxed to sort of say, hey, can we revisit um, the anal? You know, could it be that we could sort of explore? Because it's been a long time and you don't know what his past experiences were or how, you know, how many times he tried it or if it was a uh, non-consensual experience or, um, you know, what, what that negative feeling or reaction was. And so I would really encourage, say, hey, can we revisit this? And you would take it really slow, right? It would really just start off as sort of rimming, right, with your finger or your tongue. Um, and again, any of these things, if he's open to it, it's only when he's already highly aroused. Um, I say that to 
couples and individuals all the time. You only try something new um, and introduce it new when your partner is already highly aroused. And then again, going back to the, the rimming and certainly starting with, uh, if it feels pleasurable, right, one finger and working your way up to two and sort of that concept of dilation until you, you know, have some comfort with sensibly is the girth of your penis. Um, and this is where, again, toys and butt plugs, all these kinds of things can be wonderful, amazing um, sort of tools, because I'm all about tools in the toolbox, as you know. Uh, and the biggest thing here, again, is that he's highly aroused, as well as plenty of lube. Um, you can never go wrong with using a lot of lube for anal play. Um, and so, you know, I, I want you to recognize that even when and if now anal's not on the table doesn't mean that at some point in the future he might not be open to it but that for now certainly there's still so many ways to turn each other on and give each other pleasure so uh, keep the conversation open and as always have a lot of fun and let us know how it goes thank you so much dr megan i love what she said about the yes no maybe not for now kind of idea and also waiting until your partner and you are fully aroused or highly aroused before trying something new. That hadn't occurred to me before, but as you were saying it, I was like, yeah, there have been times when I try something new and it's like, if you do it right away, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to like flow as well. Yeah. And and also, you know, having some kind of communication so that you don't just spring something on somebody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wonder, so in the context of, of queer sex, I guess, so... Uh. In this case, we're talking about uh, two people with with penises and kind of their, you know, having different desires going into the relationship. I wondered, you talked about having all this sexual energy, but because you were repressed, you were putting it into like dance and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And you kind of came into your sexuality in your 20s. Was that a natural progression or was there something that allowed you to like a turning point or some sort of experience that helped you feel more free and connected to your own kind of sexual pleasure? Well, I um, I got very lucky. My first, uh, you know, other than kissing, my first, I lost my virginity to a lesbian that was like nine years older than me. And I got very lucky because we were madly in love. It was like a soulmate experience. And I think when you're in love in that deep level, everything flows sexually, naturally, just because of that beautiful state you're in. But I got very lucky because I didn't know that I had such a good teacher. Mm. She was very experienced. She was all about teaching me to, she was deconstructing everything that I ever understood about the human anatomy, the female body, pleasure, everything. She knew about all of it. What was one of those myths that you had believed oh, that she taught you? She said, you know, um, she said, you don't need a penis for penetration. She says, I think it's really fucked up. You know, she didn't use fucked up. I'm using fucked up. But she says, I think it's really fucked up that people think that penetration can only feel good if there's if there's a penis. And so many women believe that. And so many men believe that. And they're just so wrong. Because penetration is just penetration. That means that you can use almost anything to pleasure yourself with. Because as long as it penetrates and you have the skills and you do it well... It feels good, and that's penetration. And she was very good with penetration. And her fingers actually felt better than anything that you can use because she had talent with her fingers. <laughs> she was teaching me these type of things. She was teaching me 
about people's phobias, about blood, about period sex, about, you know, all the things that people have been brainwashed to believe that's dirty and gross about the human body. And she taught me that, you know, I don't remember what she taught me about period sex, but she dispelled that for me too. And we did have period sex. And period sex is awesome because that's when you're like the horniest ever. It can be. And also you have natural lube. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I think it's not for everyone, but I do think it can be really pleasurable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I got so lucky with her, you know, because she was just educating me and she pretty much destroyed everything that I've ever did not learn about mm-hmm. sex. And I all the education that I didn't get throughout my whole life, I got it all with her. That's so beautiful. That was so awesome. I'm so glad you had that experience. Yeah. yeah and with nothing to compare it to, you were like, oh, th- this is cool. I like, not realizing, was, oh, my gosh. Like a jackpot, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to hear now a bit of a chat I recorded this morning with Victor Tobar from The Pleasure Chest. The Pleasure Chest is so amazing, you guys. Go to thepleasurechest.com to shop, to learn more about these workshops. But I wanted to find out about an upcoming workshop that sounds awesome that's on this topic and also a little bit more about queer sex. So I know you have a Queering Your Sex Pride Month celebration with Victor and Sarah coming up at The Pleasure Chest at the LA location this Sunday, June 3rd, from 6 to 9 p.m. Could you share why this is an important topic? Why is it important to talk about queer sex specifically? I think it's important to talk about queer sex in specifically because uh, a lot of the stuff that we learn about sex when we're first getting sex ed or not getting sex ed uh, is about just like reproduction, abstinence, and uh, and safer sex. Our approach to talking about sex is based on pleasure. And for queer and trans and non-binary, gender non-conforming folks in, in particular, like a lot of the education that we've received around sex and sexuality is either not relevant or dismissive of our identities. So to talk about sex in a way that's uh, more uh, more relevant to us, that's hot, that's uh, focused on pleasure and kind of reimagining our bodies and how we use them uh, is really, really important. It's just a conversation that needs to be happening. I love that. It sounds so welcoming and, and really fun, which is nice because sex education brings up a lot of negative memories for a lot of people, I think. So could you give us kind of a sneak peek at some of the content? Do you have a couple of favorite tips or kind of little known tricks that you think often get missed about queering up your sex? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to be covering. That's really awesome. Like my favorite part of the workshop is always like sex toy hacks. So a lot of sex toys are designed, um, for like a very particular function. So for example, Toys that are designed to be used as couples toys generally are framed in like a really hetero framework. Um, but there's a million different ways to incorporate those toys into your queer sex. So for so if you use a toy, for example, like a Wii Vibe, like a sink, that's like a C-shaped vibrator. The intended, original intended use um, and design was so that like one person wears it during penetration and then the other partner um, penetrates them and both people feel vibration, but something that you can do with it is like, it's a great, um, vibe to wear inside of your harness. If you're having strap on sex, for example, 
or you can use it to enhance a blow job. So there's like a, a bunch of different ways that you can take toys that have uh, either been marketed a certain way or designed for uh, an intended purpose and then use it to make your hot queer sex even hotter. I love that. That's so interesting. And you mentioned the vibrator having all these other kinds of purposes. Do all different kinds of genitalia, I know everyone's a little bit different, but we tend to think of the vibrator working like for the clit or inside the vagina. Uh, Does it feel good elsewhere? Yeah, vibrators feel good everywhere depending on the person's body. But if you have... um, if you have a vulva or if you have a penis or if you have um, nipples or, you know, like vibration feels good uh, anywhere that's that's erogenous and anywhere where you can like uh, feel more intense sensation. So if the area is sensitive, try incorporating vibration. I would say start with like a low uh, frequency or intensity of vibration. Um, and then work your way up just to see how your body responds. But vibration feels good anywhere. It even feels good. Like if you take a wand style vibrator and you use it on your shoulders, like that feels really good. So there's so many different applications for vibration, as long as it's there and like adding that, uh, consistent, strong stimulation and getting blood flowing and kind of waking up your nerve endings, um, it has the potential to feel good. Mm, I really like that idea. And I could see it really helping to kind of relax the body too and mm-hmm. warm up to, to do more cool, sexy things. You're also going to talk yes. about non-traditional power roles. Could you explain what that is and how, how that is a sexy thing? Yeah. So what we're doing a little bit differently with this workshop than we have with other workshops is also like talking about, um, how queer sex isn't just about like having sex in like having like a genital stimulating sex right in particular ways but also about like playing with gender roles and playing with power dynamics um and a big thing that we're gonna really incorporate into this class and that like I encourage everyone to think about in their sex in general is is like what is this uh, idea or fantasy or um, reality that you want to make come true? Like, what's the scene that you're trying to create? And how is that either affirming of your identity or playing with uh, an identity that's different from yours? So role play and fantasy and actualizing those things are a really big part of how a lot of people have sex. And it can only help to enhance and explore, especially when we're talking about issues of like, exploring and coming into our own identity and power as queer people. What would you say is a really common question or kind of challenge that people bring to you? I know you get so many questions at the, at the pleasure chest and your whole staff is so wonderful at uh, answering questions and, and supporting people. Is there a kind of a common theme or anything specific to queer sex that you find up comes up a lot? Oh, uh, there are so many different, because everybody's sex and everybody's bodies are different, different folks have different kinds of questions. Um, But I think for a lot of our customers who, I would say especially folks who are just uh, coming out or having queer sex or what they're defining as queer sex for the first time, um, a lot of folks just want direction on like, how do I do this? This is new to me. And, um, and the answer to those questions is like, everyone has sex differently and everyone has different relationships to their bodies. So, 
uh, it's just really important for us to remind customers, like, just because your body is, it looks a certain way, like you have certain, this, like this type of genitals or whatever, it doesn't mean that you have to interact with those, those parts of your body in any particular way. And that's like the beauty of queer sex is like we can reimagine how we interact with our bodies and with our partner's bodies based solely on desire, not just like on expectation. Um, And that's a conversation we have a lot with our customers and we have a lot with each other because, um, like I said before, a lot of sex toys are designed with like certain intended purposes, but that's not really how we're going to use them. So like how are we reimagining our bodies and our toys actually meet what our desire is. That's so interesting. I think it's probably really beneficial for people to incorporate that creativity. Like even people who maybe they get a toy and the the way that it was designed just happens to fit their relationship. But if you're always doing the same thing, you know, like getting that creativity and going, oh, I could do this with that. (laughs) That sounds really cool. Exactly. And it gives you the opportunity to just like explore once you like let go of that, um, of that conception of like this thing works in this way and this and sex happens in this way. Like you just have so much more freedom to really see what the possibilities are for your body and for sensation and for different, uh, different toys, different positions, different, um, acts and parts of your body like and you can really start sexualizing different parts of your body different kinds of interaction um one of the things that i'm gonna really want to be talking about in this workshop is like for me um what's hottest is power like power to me is hotter and more sexually stimulating than like any kind of like genital play right so like that's the the center of of how I envision sexuality. For other people, it might be that like their mouths and like oral sex is like that's the thing that's at the center of their sexuality at any particular point in time, and that changes and it our desire changes and how we have sex changes and what we think is hot changes. So um, yeah, that's something that's really interesting. Is like you can always be engaging and changing your relationship to sex and sexuality as you move on with your life and like, you know, your, your body changes, your desire changes, you know, uh, the relationships you're having are different, et cetera. Mm, and embracing that adventure. And, it, you know, I feel like what you're saying and everything you do, the pleasure chest gives people so much permission, not permission that we, we need or should need, uh, but permission because we've been taught like your sexuality is kind of stagnant or, it should look like this. I think that's so great. Could you share a little bit more about anything you want people to know about the workshop? Um, again, it's at the Pleasure Chest in Los Angeles, Sunday, June 3rd from 6 to 9 p.m. Anything else you'd like people to to know? Yeah, the workshop is going to be really uh, focused on like being as inclusive as, as possible of different types of like genders, orientations, uh, levels of experience. We're going to cover everything from like how to talk about bodies and choosing the words that are right for you and your partner, like creating a common language, because obviously not everyone uses the same language to talk about their bodies. So like negotiating and creating a successful hot scene and um, incorporating different toys in different ways that work for you. So we're going to 
run the full gamut of possibilities um, or at least like get some seeds planted so that you can explore that. And it's going to be really fun. And I encourage everyone to attend. And you guys, that workshop is completely free. All the Pleasure Chest workshops are. So if you're in New York, L.A., or Chicago, you can go to their workshops for free. This one in particular, again, is in Los Angeles. And I hope you'll be there. Tell them Girl Boner sent you if you like. So when it comes, again, to, to queer sex, I love what he said about toys being it might be something that's built for, you know, P in V penetration. And just as you're saying, there's all these myths to dispel. So you can use things in different ways mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. How much do you think that creativity, especially your creativity, because that seems to be such a huge part of your identity and who you are, mm-hmm. how intertwined is that with your with your sexuality? Um what do you mean by intertwined? Like, how does it translate to my sex life or what I do in bed? <laughs> That's a good question. Now, hold on. <laughs> what does that I mean? I wonder what I meant. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder how much creativity you find yourself applying to your sex life because that is what came first for you. Like, you are a creative being. Do you find yourself being a very creative, explorative person when it comes to expressing your sexuality? I think so, but I also think a lot of it had to do with my first girlfriend because she was ex- very experimental, but I was like a little lamb, you know. I was not ready for toys and all these things that she she was just way too advanced for me. And But what she did was good because she planted a seed in my mind to, to explore later on when I was um, ready going back to that conversation before about the anal thing and how he didn't like anal I mean I really appreciate her helping this guy with finding all kinds of ways to resolve that but at the same time I also think that he needs to find a different partner (laughs) okay (laughs) because it's his thing because um, it's almost like it depends I don't know him I don't know his boyfriend I don't know the depth of the relationship but I'm just saying that without knowing anything about them it's sort of like when you when you get a cat and it's a feral cat and it's not going to be a lap cat and all you want is a cat on your lap or a cat cuddle next to your neck and this feral cat it's never going to do that because it's not cut that way you need to find a cat that's going to pleasure you you and not pleasure you but not a pussy cat, but you know a cat that's going to cuddle with you and be in your lap, and you need to be compatible. And I'm, t- I'm I'm mentioning that because my first girlfriend wanted to do all these things, but I'm not up that she's like a race car, you know, and I'm like a Prius. Actually, I drive my Prius pretty fast, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm like a go kart. I'm like I'm still taking it easy, and, you know. And she's like a freaking. You're saving the planet, man. <laughs> she's like this freaking, you know, Mustang yeah. and. That's even a- even if she wanted me to do all that stuff, I was not ready to. And I had too much um, either fear or integrity or I had to go at my own pace. And she would never get that from me. So she had to look elsewhere, sadly enough. You know, sex was important to her. And it took me a long time to understand that that was the right thing. Couldn't understand it then, but understand it now. But... Um, I forgot what I was trying to lead up to. I had this whole arc of what I wanted to tell you, and I can't remember at all. Well, you were talking about compatibility, and I think that's really interesting because you were saying he should have a a new partner. And uh, I really appreciate that perspective because I feel like 
you know, we are all a sum of so many parts, right? And I think in some cases, you could be with a lover who maybe you have an, you have different desires and pleasures and things that you prefer, and you end up learning and growing because of those differences. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, I never thought of that, or I'm not really into that, so let's try this. Or even like something like height differences. You know, I have a friend who is really, really tall, and she usually had really tall boyfriends and then she had a very 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 short boyfriend and it changed the way that they would have sex and at first she was just like I don't like this and now you know they find other things but if it's if it's such a huge part of your you know your sexual being and your desires and and perhaps also you have other ways that you're not compatible like it's a whole like a race car Prius thing yeah <laughs> that's something different well uh, yeah, I remember wh- what you're asking me about now. It's about creativity and how that translates into my sex life. And and I think that um, what I really wanted to say was whatever seed she planted in me, you know, in terms of um, learning about toys and all these things that she was into, uh, that create when I was ready and mature enough and had enough experience and got to that level, you know, then the creativity, that had the tools, the mm. experience to incorporate creativity into my sex life. And I ended up being the one having to, you know, ask my partner to, you know, to be, explore more. But everyone is at the level that they're at or, e- or e- either that or they haven't been deconstructed and they're just close-minded, in which case my last partner was just close-minded. She has a very ignorant view of... Um, she had hetero views as a lesbian of how sex should be, and it was just not the way I rolled. You know? So what would be uh, an example of that? Was it like oh, penetration from oh, like... No, it's, it, was worse, it was worse than that, and okay. I never addressed this with her, but it's almost like, okay, G is Asian, so she's the back queen, right? She gets fucked, but I don't fuck her. But I'll let a big black woman fuck me, you know, in, using her terminology. And she didn't have to tell me that. I found, like, pictures <laughs> that I oh, won't no. get into of stuff that her past big black oh, woman okay. in the past uh, that uh, that you know you know uh, so there was stereotyping going on and yeah it was like really ignorant and I didn't because I was so in love with her I didn't realize that this was happening to me and I gave all that I could to in the end we had LBD you know uh, is it LBD bed death yeah lesbian bed death which is like the worst thing on earth could you Les- lesbian is. bed death is all, something straight people have too, but I don't know what they call it. But it's where married people stop having sex, you know. And I had LBD because I had a power struggle with her in terms of the imbalance of re- reciprocation, and I'm just so not about non-reciprocation. So that uh, that killed my sexual creativity mm. because if someone's not going to be creative with you. You're not. You're going to lose that creativity, you know, and you're going to have to channel it elsewhere or break up or whatever. But you can't continue. I can't continue having sex with somebody where I, you know, when you wake up one day and you're like, oh shit, you know, there's a complete imbalance here, and you don't. I didn't realize it until much later on, where you realize that you know that dude that doesn't like anal, he's never going to like anal, and I need anal kind of thing. Well, you know what? I need. I like penetration. 
uh, both ways. I like to be penetrant. I like to penetrate. And if I can never express that part of my creativity, that's like half of me because I'm not going to be the submissive Asian girl for anybody. Yeah, that first of all, that stereotype, all of the stereotypes, <laughs> but they, they're just so, so goofed up. But yeah. they're ingrained because they because of lack of sex education, a so lack of fucking education. We could be saving the whole world, gee, I'm telling you. <laughs> We just we need to have sex education. Maybe we could be passing out your book. There's so many things we could be doing. Uh, but I love what you're saying about authenticity and embracing yourself and your desires and self-honesty is really important. And, uh, yeah, I think those are all super, super good points. Yeah. What's the biggest message, if you had to choose one, that you would hope people would take away, particularly perhaps a teen who's – struggling to embrace their identity or just something about themselves that they feel maybe be a little bit like your main character where they're kind of an outsider. What do you hope they might take from your story? I think in terms of sexuality, it's really important to not rush into the peer pressure of getting laid or having experiences or having to become whorish in order to be attractive to other people, to be cool and and crowd. I think that I highly suggest doing what I did, which is to give yourself time to grow at your own pace and to heal and to channel your, your sexual energy in any way that's positive for you. You could end up developing great leadership skills or even creating your own business or creating the most amazing work of art or something because that sexual energy is very powerful and it shouldn't be wasted on some douchebag that wants you to be a bat queen. (laughs) Very well said. Thank you so much for the work that you do for joining me today. Remind people where they can learn more about you, follow your work. Uh, The best place to go is to redasblue.com. That's the website for the book. Beautiful. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you will subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and leave us a simple review while you're there. You can also follow along on Spotify. You can also find my book, Girl Boner, The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It releases on August 7th, but you can now pre-order it. You can also request it at your local bookstore. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.